Macworld Podcast number 384 for Wednesday, November 27th, 2013. Brought to you by Mac Mania Cruises. Hello again, everyone. A very happy day before Thanksgiving to you and yours. This is Philip Michaels. I'm your host this week of the Macworld Podcast. And we want to talk to you today about a little word we like to call innovation. Um, this was sort of inspired by a, a, well, it was not sort of inspired, it was exactly inspired by an article written by uh, Chris Breen talking about uh, innovation and Apple and what that all means. And to talk about this column, it's a surprise guest. It's Chris Breen. Hello, Chris. Well, hello, Phil. It's funny that you're here to, to talk about your column. Well, after the comments that I think this thing is going to generate, I thought it was only fair that I show up in person and take the abuse myself. And here to defend you is uh, another Macworld editor, Dan Morin. Hello, Dan. I did not sign up to defend Chris Breen. He's indefensible, as we all know. His behavior, just terrible. Exactly. Well, then this 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 should be a rip roaring conversation, and let's let's kick things off by uh, asking the 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 big question. Chris Breen, is Apple innovating? No, I don't think they are. They're saying the word a lot. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but in the last maybe two to three Apple events, that they are using this word over and over and over again. And through my long history of attending and, and listening in on Apple events, I don't recall them using the word as often as they have. And I think it's largely because we keep seeing these headlines saying Apple is no longer innovating, which is sort of, I think, code for them saying Steve Jobs isn't at Apple anymore and therefore they're doomed just as we said they were, even though they don't seem to be, but they will be soon because they're no longer innovating. So in a way, what you're you're suggesting is that Apple has uh has started uh, using the I word more and more often as kind of a response to um, to uh, clickbait headlines and whatnot. Well, I think they have, and I'm I'm a little disappointed that they have because I think they have a compelling argument that they have innovated, but I don't think they're using the true form of the word. And really, what this boils down to is semantics in a way. People in charge of generating buzzwords for business schools, so buzzword 101, have decided that the word innovation is no longer an adequate word. Instead, they've come up with a, with a word disruption, yeah. which means to, to, I know, I know, I'm totally with you on this, but they've decided that it, you know, you can't, you know, in the past when we had people who were innovating, it was like Tesla and Einstein and Elvis. And we didn't say, oh, look at those disruptors go. We said, no, these are innovative people. They're innovative thinkers. But now we have to call them disruptors because it's like a business word where you're turning a business upside down or doing something completely different. So I think when people make these charges that Apple is no longer innovating, if we were to substitute the word Apple is no longer disrupting, everybody would say, oh, yeah, you're right. They're not. But I prefer to go with the original term, which is innovation, which means Apple has not done anything that's flipped a business on its head for quite a while. I think they've done it three times in the last 12 years, and that would be the iPod for music. It would be the iPhone for an information device in your pocket. And the last would be the iPad. So all the iDevices and the iPad would be because a tablet is now viable when everybody had kind of given up on the thing. So, um, I, but since then, Apple has to seem to 
seems to want to answer these charges by saying, no, look at the innovation here, look at the innovation here, like the Mac Pro, for example. It's an innovative design, but I think what you really need for innovation is to complete this sentence adequately, which is, this completely changes the way we blank. And I don't think that the Mac Pro does that. It's a really interesting design, but it doesn't change the way we work, except that it will be faster to do some things, or the iPad Air or the iPad with Retina Display. Great products, but they don't change anything uh, in a really significant way. It's interesting because it, it harkens back to something that um, uh, Steve Jobs was was fond of saying in some of his uh uh, latter keynotes, I believe that he broke this out when they introduced the iPad, that you're lucky if you get to work on one of these products once in your life. And Apple has the the, the iPad, the iPhone, the I, iPod, as you mentioned. And if you want to go even further back into the, the mists of time, there's, there's the Mac. So it, in a way, his grim prophecy has come true. <laughs> well, I think it has. And I, and I don't think that's a bad thing. It, for some reason, people seem to think that iteration is a, is a horrible thing or that they won't. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it that in terms of marketing, you really can't take the stage and say, hey, we really iterated the heck out of our products this year because it doesn't sell very well. But what this does do when you have a, a barrage of Apple executives marching out on stage and saying innovation this, innovation that, innovation the other, that it really gives legitimacy to everybody else's claims of innovation. So let's say Apple comes out and they say, look, we've made a thinner tablet and we have a faster processor and we have a brighter screen. And they say, these are all innovations. Fine. Well, then Samsung can march out and say, hey, look, we just thinned out our tablet and we just made ours faster and we made this brighter and we did this and we have a special port. So therefore, we're just as innovative as Apple is. And I don't think that's the case. I don't think Samsung has innovated anything in the last 12 years, whereas Apple's done it three times. So I know you're a baseball guy, so put it in these terms. Apple has won the World Series three times in 12 years and Samsung has won some games. And there's a complete difference. And yet, when you use this term innovation as if everything is a game, then Apple and Samsung are on a level playing field. And I just don't think that's the case. So to extend your metaphor, they're the Boston Red Sox of, of the world, Apple. And that's a perfect opportunity to bring Dan Morin into the conversation. Dan, are, are you buying what Chris is saying here? You know, I, far be it for me to disagree with such a luminary as Chris Breen. Um, so I will, I will say, I think, I think he's totally right um, that the innovation idea has become a buzzword and we've all become inured to this idea of, well, there's going to be incremental upgrades and that's, you know, that's pretty great. And, and I don't want to come across sounding like a crank and being, you know, Apple, please deliver an innovative product once a year because obviously innovation doesn't happen on a schedule. Um, but I think that it's true that what we've seen in the last several years have been mainly smaller updates. And that's great. I mean, as we've we've talked about in the past, that's what Apple does, right? They come out with a category-beating product, and then they find ways to gradually improve that product over time. Uh, and we've seen that very clearly with the iPad and the iPhone and the iPod, and, and over the course of 30 years with the Mac in some ways. I think you can make the same argument. Um, but, you know, for me, I, I feel that I've become very jaded and cynical, and that's, you know, being so close to the tech industry. Uh, that's kind of how you feel after you see these people constantly touting every new release as something totally innovative or new or groundbreaking or what have you. You, you kind of start rolling your eyes every time you hear those words. I mean, it's a Pavlovian reaction. Uh, and I think that, you know, 
Apple, it's great that Apple puts out fantastic products, and there's no there's no arguing that the products that they do put out are great. It's just that I wish they, you know, would maybe back off the innovative uh, harp a little bit and and really deliver something that is groundbreaking. And I, I'm, I'm kind of rooting for them in the same way that I root for the Red Sox, uh, you know, to win a World Series. Uh, but if they won a World Series every year, it would get kind of boring, I guess. So, you know, <laughs> unless you're a Yankees fan. Um, and so I feel like there is, you know, there's an, uh, an ability there to say, I recognize that Apple's not innovating now. It doesn't mean I'm not impressed with their products or that I don't uh, want them to succeed. But I, I do want them to succeed at a higher level than they're succeeding now. I, I, I We're sort of dancing around the issue, uh, I think. How, how often does a company need to innovate to... Uh enjoy kind of the leadership position that Apple has held for, depending on how you do the math, uh, anywhere from uh, five years to a decade? Well, look who else has done it. And I think that's the the question. And some of this is when people say Apple's not innovating. I think the answer is, well, who is? And so if I look at some of the tech companies that I think have innovated, you look at Google, I think they've done it twice uh, with search and advertising. And advertising, of course, has they're long arms to that, and, and that affects a lot of businesses. Um, Netflix has changed the way we acquire movies, and it's I think it's going to lead to cord cutting, and it has for some people. Amazon has changed the way we shop and, and uh, also ebooks. And uh, TiVo has changed the way we watch TV now that we have DVRs that you can skip commercials and you can time shift. And these are, again, these complete that sentence. These completely change the way we do X, Y, and Z. So these are huge companies. Um, look at another huge company, Microsoft. I don't think they've innovated anything in the last, yeah, I don't know when the last time they did it was. So, some might I mean, say I, ever, Chris. Uh, yeah, maybe ever is, is the answer there. And, and again, it doesn't mean that you can't have a significant impact on the world around us, but innovation is is a much, much tougher thing. So in terms of your question, I think Apple has done really well with three times. If they can do it a fourth time, good for them. Um, but I think they can certainly have a successful business continuing to iterate their products so that we still want them and, and we like using them a lot. Um, and then some innovations, I think, take five to 10 years before you realize how much something has changed, where it doesn't change overnight, but rather you look back 10 years and go, wow, this really is completely different than the way I used to do it. You know, it's a, to a certain point, I think there's an argument that Microsoft and Samsung are from a very similar mold in that both are good at, to a certain extent, commoditizing the, these products, right? You know, Apple came out with the iPhone and that was innovative and broke a lot of new ground and Samsung was able to build on that and create something that was just able to be mass produced and, you know, sort of sold as, as good enough. Uh, and I think you could argue Microsoft's done similar things in a lot of its categories as well. And, you know, I mean, there, are, there are certain places where both of those companies, I think, are successful. I mean, you know, I have a Samsung television at home. I think Samsung makes great TVs. Do they invent the television? No. Do they come up with anything that was particularly revolutionary in the television? Not really, but they made a good product that was cost-effective and was among the best in the marketplace, even if it wasn't the fanciest or most revolutionary product. I think that's a good point. And, and I think particularly it's important to remember that when people say that Apple is no longer innovating or it's not innovating right now, this seems to lead some pundits to believe, well, Apple is doomed. And of course, it's not the case. I mean, I have some, you know, I have some perfectly lovely faucets 
that um, have been designed by plumbing companies for the last 50 years. They're doing fine. They haven't reinvented the faucet in any way. They make these wonderful commodities that I continue to purchase or other people continue to purchase. So just because you're not inventing fire or the wheel doesn't mean that you're not successful. Apple is very successful. They're turning out some great stuff. It's just that innovation is really hard. That, that actually uh, uh, leads me to kind of a side issue. The An article that our, our dear friend and, and former colleague Lex Friedman uh, wrote in recent weeks about uh, how his faith in Apple uh, had been shaken somewhat by um, some of the things that the company was doing. And uh, Dan, I was I was wondering if you could maybe uh, uh, do you share Lex's uh, uh, point of view? I, I share his frustration um, that there are certain things that you want to rely on because not just because you like Apple as a company, but because they're tr- they're gr- they're great ideas. Something like Siri is a is a great idea. The problem is that when you want to rely on it and it fails you, it becomes really hard to take that product seriously and to really give it your trust. Um, so, you know, we've all probably had the issue where you, you know, try to trigger Siri and it says, you know, I'm really sorry, I can't take any requests right now. And it's kind of, I realize there's an unreasonable anger that makes me want to throw my phone across the room at that point. So, well, my, my computer won't do what I tell it to do with my voice, you know? Like, well, that's probably Robot the definition Butler, of Robot you are problems. being insubordinate. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it does. It makes you irrationally angry because you're like, oh, this should work. Um, and similarly, you know, the kind of stuff they've dealt with in, uh, he also mentions iCloud uh, syncing contacts, and sometimes it just fouls things up. And one that he didn't mention, but I think is, is on the forefront of many people's minds, is Maps, which is another scenario where Apple created this thing that's supposed to be better than what we had before. And the frustration is it just after it screws up a certain number of times, you're not willing to risk the fact that it might screw up again, right? So it's hard to give your trust over to something. And as such, it, it dents the perception and the, the reputation of Apple, right? That they're, these products are not that good. And there's, a, you know, there's an idea that if you're not innovating, you, know, you should be at least making the products that you do have as solid and as reliable as possible. Because you know, that's kind of the worst of both worlds is not doing anything new and putting out a crappy product. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, I think that there's a lot of us who feel a little taken aback when we try to use an Apple product and find that it comes up short. Um, and, you know, that, that's true with any company to a certain extent. And, you know, we got to, Lex, as, as I'm sure uh, some people have read, got taken to task by our, our lovely resident columnist, the Macalope, for um, perhaps uh, pro- protesting too much. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, there is a, I think there is a valid argument there in the idea that we want to trust these products because they seem like they could actually help us improve our lives. But when they fail, it makes it really hard for us to trust a lot of things that Apple does. And, and there's the, the issue that Apple has such a, a strong reputation, uh, has set such a high bar for what it does that uh, the times when something does come up short, it... it it it's the 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 off key note is especially off key to to yeah it hurts bring more. it into <laughs> Chris's musical uh, uh background for instance maps really it it seems I was expecting at the the Apple events this past fall for them to really address uh the the faulty rollout of maps over the past year and that it really I I, I don't think it it happened. Uh, to the extent that it should have, and I, I, I think 
it no, it, it barely increases happened at all. It the, got very little attention yeah, whatsoever. Well, yeah, it increases this perception that uh, that Apple just isn't paying attention to that, has taken its eye off the ball. It's there. a certain amount of, yeah, it's kind of got a blithe indifference. It makes them look like they're, you know, like they're not paying attention to the plight of their users. Oh, everything's fine. Don't worry about it, you know. Uh, there's certainly the same could be said of many political leaders in the past. You yeah, know, yeah. Let them yeah. eat cake scenario almost. Well, I don't think that they're they're not good explainers and they're not good apologizers. So, for example, the whole iWork thing, which maybe we could call that a, a debacle, um, to the point where they remove features and they don't explain that they've done it. First of all, they just say, "Hey, these things are great and they're free," and then suddenly people start using it and go, well, "Wait a minute, where's?" X, Y, and Z feature are missing now, and I relied on them, and then Apple says, well, yes, but you still have the old copies. Could you have warned me about this before this happened and stop bugging me to update if I haven't because I don't want to use these new features? Again, it's this is part of Apple's secrecy, but I don't think they really want to explain their long-term plans because it doesn't fit well into a marketing message or into a soundbite. I think the whole thing about iWork is that they're really going after this common code base. They want the applications to look and operate very similarly on the two platforms so that when people come from an iPad to a Mac, they're going to feel right at home. And these are all perfectly legitimate reasons for doing this, but they don't explain it before they do it. And then suddenly people who have been using this stuff for a while and depend on it are furious because they feel like, well, Apple doesn't care about me. I think Apple does care about you, but they could approach this a little bit better rather than hoping that people don't complain and then explaining when they do complain rather than just give me a little upfront notice, which is, by the way, you know, here's a list of things that will not work. Don't worry about it. We're going to try to bring parity in in the next six months or whatever that may be. Right. There's a, there's a square peg round hole problem there to a certain extent. Uh, and I think you're right. It, it's a hard marketing message to sell if you're going to get up on the stage and try to tell your users that we're even if you're going to put features back, that you're removing them for the time. Um, I think that's that's a tough message to get away with. But I think that a lot of people would at least respect that if they came out and said it. Hey, we're, we are removing these features, but look, we have a plan. This is what we're going to do. We're going to roll stuff back out. But, you know, I agree. It's not it's not really in their DNA to handle problems that way. And, and that's a shame. And maybe it should be because, you know, they could avoid themselves a lot of trouble if they only explained up front. Well, I think so. I, when you look at the Snow Leopard release, for example, going back a few years, where they really set people's expectations low, said this is not going to have a lot of features. We're really doing a lot of under the hood stuff that's going to pay off in the next few years. And I think that's what a lot of this is about here with Mavericks, with iOS 7, uh, with iWork and all the things that are associated with it are really about this stuff is going to pay off a year from now, two years from now. We can't really describe it in great detail because we don't do that, um, but at least downplay it a little bit. I think when they, they march the executives out and they show off all these wonderful features, which sure, they want to show off the new features, but it does leave the impression like, wow, I'm going to get something really spectacular instead of, wow, I've just lost features that I depend on. Snow Leopard would be one of those cases where they did come out and say, hey, we've really iterated the heck out of this. Yeah, I think it went really well with that, because I, I think people walked in and said, oh, good. Thank you, Apple, for trusting me with this information. And uh, I don't really understand what 64-bit processing is, but if you say it's okay and it's going to help me in the future, good on you, and I'll just wait for the next one. 
And now a word from our sponsor. Hey, podcast listeners, you want to learn more about the Mac and iOS platforms? You're listening to this podcast, so I assume that you do. In that case, allow me to invite you aboard the Mac Mania Cruise next June. It's a harmonious blending of Apple Insights, unforgettable sightseeing, and fun. The cruise takes place over 10 delightful days featuring learning and exploration of the British Isles, England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, also a stop in France. You'll get Mac problem solving with Joe Kissel, efficient workflows and habits with Don McAllister. You'll learn how to master your iPhone and iPad with Bob Levitas and much, much more. For more on the Mac Mania Cruise next June, visit InsightCruises.com slash Mac 17 for full details. That's InsightCruises.com slash Mac 17. So at the risk of uh, disrupting this conversation, see what I did there, Chris Breen? Um, Let me steer it back to um, the topic at hand, which is innovation and what Apple has to do to get back on the innovation train, since we're all, you know, such experts that uh, we can tell Apple its business. I think it's, like I said, innovation is hard. I think there's some obvious places where innovation is needed but because Apple would have to partner with other companies, it makes it more difficult. I think the obvious one is the living room. We really, or a lot of us really want to be able to cut the cord and have a la carte programming so that instead of getting 500 channels and paying 80 to $100 a month for it, that you get 12 and you get exactly the 12 you want and you pay a couple of bucks per channel. But this completely goes against the model that the cable companies and satellite companies have set up. They prefer their monopolies where they control both your broadband and your programming. And so how does Apple deal with that? They Right now, they are offering some of these channels like PBS, which is great, HBO Go, but I still have to have a subscription in order to get that. So that means, so what it really takes, I think, is some changing of thought in the entertainment industry where they realize that going to a restaurant and having them bring you everything on the menu and you have to pay for it even though you're only eating one meal um, doesn't make sense. I know it, I know they get it. It makes sense for them because they're making more money on, on it. But for customers, it doesn't, it doesn't count. And uh, it, it's not something that, that we particularly want. So if Apple could somehow make that happen, yes, they would completely change the way we acquire entertainment. Dan Morin. Uh, well, I mean, Chris says that you picked the, the best example, and I think, you know, he identified the place where a lot of us experience the most pain these days and where, you know, things are seem to be in a period of upheaval. Um, I think there are some other places that, that Apple's investigating, but it, to, to give an example of how innovation is hard, you know, we've certainly all heard the rumors that Apple is developing a smartwatch or other some other port, uh, type of wearable technology. Uh, and I think that's a great example of you know, the places where innovation is difficult because nobody's sure exactly what form that's going to take yet. And so it's not hard to imagine that there are people at Apple working on some sort of wearable product, whether it be a smartwatch or something else. But rather than these other companies, you see both Samsung and I think Sony have have rolled out smartwatches in the last few months, and the reviews have been mostly terrible of these things. And I think it's because they heard the idea, watch, smartwatch, okay, great, let's, let's just throw something down and see what, what we can come up with, instead of taking the time to actually figure out, well, what problem does this solve, if any? Um, 
And so, you know, people are clamoring for Apple to make a smartwatch, but there's still a whole open question of, is this a place like television, for example, where we can identify a discrete problem that we can fix with technology? And the answer might be no. I mean, it's possible that Apple might decide, hey, we can't figure out what this, you know, we can't create something that is going to solve this amorphous problem that multiple, you know, many people have different ideas of what exactly something like a smartwatch or a, you know, Google Glass type thing is supposed to do. Um, and so there's an argument that you'd rather see them not do anything than to do something that's crappy. Um, and I think that's, you know, people get impatient, just release the smartwatch already. And it's like, well, you know, they don't want to release something that's subpar. I think we can all agree that Apple's philosophy is to only create products that it really does believe is great, regardless of whether they do a, well, a good job explaining that to its customers. Um, but, you know, sometimes it turns out that the products that people think they want aren't actually the products that they're going to end up using. And, and I say this as somebody who, who bought a uh, Pebble smartwatch, you know, six months ago and have only recently started to use it as the software ecosystem has grown up around it. But, you know, it's not something that I find indispensable. If I leave my house without my iPhone, you know, I get kind of <laughs> worried and I'm like, oh, you know, I have to go back and get my phone because what if I'm out of touch or what if I need to find, you know, make a call while I'm on the road or find a map, probably not an Apple map. But um, but if I leave the house without my smartwatch on, it's like, oh, well, whatever. Right. You know, and so I think it's an interesting point to show you both the both the flip sides of innovation, like the places where we really are experiencing problems that technology can fix and the ones where maybe it's a solution in search of a problem. Yeah, I think that's a problem that uh, that Google is is facing. That we see, we see Google Glass come out, and I just keep thinking, is there really a need for this thing? I see it as more harmful than good, and and maybe that's just because I'm a privacy weirdo. But I I don't like the idea of a bunch of people walking around with cameras pointed at me most of the time, and I and I think that this mobile technology at this point is already sort of driven us more inward, so that. We're focusing on on these devices in front of us instead of the world around us, and I and I'm not sure that's a healthy direction to go in. I I'm trying not to be the the cranky old man on the lawn shaking my fist, but I would like to see wearable tech somehow expand our horizons instead of contract them. Mm. And it, maybe Apple is facing the same kind of thing in that while we can't produce the Dick Tracy watch because it, the battery's technology is not there. And otherwise, is this just a dumb terminal for the device in our pocket? And why can't you just reach in your pocket then and, and use that device instead? So the whole wearable tech thing, I, I think, is an interesting issue. And I think if Apple does come out with it, I think it's going to be very much like the iPod and the iPad, where when they first released these things, a lot of people said, what in the world are we going to do with this thing? This seems like a really stupid idea. And then you get one and then you realize, ah, <laughs> Now I see, but and the answer tends to be different for everybody. I I think there's a possible opportunity with innovating in wearable tech, but it wouldn't shock me if that's something that Apple looks at and decides mm, we're we're not going to actually go in that direction because there's not much to be done there. And of course, the problem with Google Glass is that wearing it makes you about five times more likely to get punched. I think it makes your face <laughs> that so. much more punchable. <laughs> but I do think it'll be an interesting thing to see. What Apple does, if I think if, if no, I, I'm going to have to utter these words. If Steve Jobs were still running the company, and I oh no, for that, I know, wow. I know, I know, I know. 
I think he would have uh, the um, he would be able to resist something, you know, that everybody in the world is clamoring for. Right. We saw everybody was talking about netbooks like, oh, we got to have a netbook. We have to have a netbook. And and Apple just didn't go there, really. I mean, they made the MacBook Air, which was but it was really a full featured laptop instead of a, a netbook. It will be interesting to see if Apple can resist, because going back to the original discussion, the fact that Apple is parroting this word innovation now seems very reactive to me. It's not Apple taking control, but rather reacting to its critics. So can Apple in its current iteration resist this clamoring for some kind of wearable tech because everybody else seems to be doing it? I I think it can, and here's why. Um, And you just have to look at the, the... What the current CEO of the company says, Tim Cook, uh, uh, when you press him about making uh, inexpensive uh, laptops or inexpensive phones, he says, we just don't know how to do that and make something that we think is is worthy of us uh, as a company. Uh, So I I don't see them releasing uh, uh, a Me Too watch in the vein of what Samsung and Sony are doing just because I don't think they'd want to sign their name to it. I, I think the problem, the innovation problem that we've talked about really is, as you've said, a, a question of semantics. And, and maybe um, if, uh, if at the next Apple event they, they walk out and keep throwing the word disruption um, out there, as, as, as we cringe and hold our ears, we'll know that, we'll, we'll know that Apple is uh, at least uh, uh, acknowledging that maybe, maybe it's more a, a, a problem with word choice than with, with the overall philosophy of the company. Yeah, it's a very tricky PR perspective to take. I mean, how do you do yeah. this? You can't really come out and say, look, we've disrupted three times in 12 years. It's hard to be known as a company whose signature is innovation, you know, in the in the true sense that Chris is describing, because as we've alluded to, it doesn't happen on a schedule, right? So, you know, making that's like akin to making your business plan. Well, lightning will strike and we'll have a great product. Yeah. Um, and it's you know, <laughs> what do you do in all those times when lightning doesn't strike? Because that's pretty challenging. Um, and you know, the idea, the answer is you you fix all the stuff you you work on the stuff that you've put out already and make it better and better. But, you know, there, there comes a point, as with anybody who sort of relies on a certain degree of inspiration, where, you know, there's a fallow period and you just end up sort of churning, uh, churning or spinning your, your wheels as you try to come up with the next big thing. And, and some people don't or some companies don't. Right. There are companies or, or artists who, who sink after coming out with something that's great just because they don't happen to be in that position again. But, you know, I think. There's an argument that something as as large as Apple and where that's a huge part of their their culture, I think that it's likely we will see something else, but it's impossible to predict when that will be. So the idea that it's going to be on a schedule or that innovative products have been delayed, as the rumor sites are so fond of saying, is is just patently ridiculous. Yeah, I think the culture point is is important because a- Apple, I think, actively looks for this stuff. That they create these earth-shattering technologies, and they're capable. They have that confidence of being able to do it. Whereas I don't know that Samsung does, or or that Microsoft does. I think Microsoft's kind of beaten down now, and is just trying to survive. Um, whereas I think Apple firmly believes it can do it. It's just a matter of making the right choices. And I think their commercial about the number of times they say no is a good message. And I think that really is something that they believe in. So I have confidence that they, they'll be back on the innovation wagon at some point. It's just that it may take a while because it may be hard to find exactly what that's going to be. 
I think that's as good a note as any to end on. I'd like to thank you, Chris Breen, for for uh, uh, throwing this topic out there and and uh, really uh, uh, digging into it and explaining in depth. Well, thank you, Phil, and and you, Dan Moore, and thank you. Yeah, for joining good to us be today. here and help help Chris in a way that he didn't need <laughs> me to help him at all. <laughs> <laughs> but most of all, listeners, we're thankful for you for choosing to spend a half hour of your time with us this week. Uh, we'll be back next week with uh, with another topic, and uh, we hope you'll join us then. Until then, take care. The Macworld Podcast has been brought to you by MacMania Cruises. 